We started talking about um, no imputation of sin. And uh, I just want to carry on in that subject a little bit. Today, I don't know if we'll continue next week or not, but <clears throat> I just believe it's so important for us to get a hold of this because I think a lot of times, technically, we know this. But it's not enough to just simply know it. We've got to know it. It's got to be alive to us. It's got to be real to us. We've got to have the, the confidence and the, insur- the assurance that through the completed works of Jesus, there is no sin that's imputed to us and there's no sin that's laid upon us because Jesus paid the full price. And if we don't have the full revelation of that, we get into that place where we begin to think that there's something that I still have to do to earn my place, to get favor with God. And we need to know that we have favor with God. We need to know that he paid the complete price because because we know that he loves us, we're able to love one another. When we realize that we've been truly, truly, fully forgiven, we're gonna be able to give up, forgive others. But you know, we, we look at it and we, we, we know that, but we don't really know it. I want us to know it. I want us to be confident in what, um, what God's done for us, realizing that his grace is truly sufficient so that we can fulfill whatever the plan, whatever the call, whatever the purpose is that God has for each and every one of us individually, that that can be accomplished. I want us to know that through the grace of God, we've been cleansed, not of most of our sin. We've been cleansed of all of our sin. You know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like standing under a waterfall. When you stand under a waterfall, you immediately get wet, amen? amen. But guess what happens? There's, it continues to come, continues to flow. And that's how it is with the grace of God. The moment that we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's like stepping under that waterfall. We are completely cleansed. We are completely washed. But that, that water continues to flow. And so it cleanses us of the, the guilt. It cleanses us of the shame. It cleanses us of the consciousness of sin. It totally washes it away. You know, in the book of John, Jesus said to his disciples, that it's to your advantage that I go, to go away because after I've gone away, I'm going to send you another comforter, another advocate. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And in the King James Version, it says that out of our bellies, out of our inner being, will flow rivers of living water. What's, what's the purpose of that flow? It's to cleanse us. It's to get all the guilt, the shame, the defilement, <clears throat> to get it completely out of our lives. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you this morning, turn to Hebrews, the second chapter. We, we're going to be going over a lot of passages that we covered last week again. Uh, and I hope you remember that we went over those passages last week. <clears throat> you know, some of you are going to say, well, pastor, why are, we, why are you preaching this again? 
Well, it kind of reminds me of this pastor. He just got this, took over this new church. And on Sunday morning, he preaches this message. And after the service, everybody tells him how wonderful it was and so on and so forth. The next week, he preaches the very same message. And everybody says, yeah, it's, it's still a good message, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. The next week, he preached the very same message. I mean, he used the same outline and everything. Very same message. And so by this time, he's not getting quite as many compliments. The next week, he preached the very same message. And so the elders took him aside after the service, and they said, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping you have more than one message. And he says, I do. And he says, well, why don't you preach one of them then? And he says, well, I will as soon as you start doing what I've been preaching on the last four weeks. So anyway, the point is, I know that you've heard it, but I want it to be alive on the inside of you so that we can take it and we can apply it in our lives in every area of, of our life. And so in Hebrews, the second chapter, the 14th verse, it says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, I know Christians who their entire lifetime have been subject to bondage. Why? Because of fear. You know, fear can come in many manifestations. It's not just simply fear of death, of dying, but it's fear of losing something. A lot of Christians are fearful to stand up for, for what they believe because they're afraid of death in their life. They're afraid they're going to lose relationships. They're afraid they're going to lose their reputation. <laughs> Don't you wish you could? <clears throat> well, I guess I'm the only one. You know, but anyway, that fear will dominate and control our lives. And so we need to turn to him. It's Satan that brings bondage into your life. Jesus set you free that you might be free. Jesus didn't set you free to bring you back into bondage again. Jesus set you free so that you might live a life of freedom. That you might realize I'm free to serve God with my whole heart. I'm free to be the individual that God has called me to be. You know, we used to always produce cookie cutter Christians. Everybody looked the same, everybody sounded the same. Everybody's the same. The only problem is we're not the same. We're different, each and every one of us. And, and God created us that way because each and every one of us, <clears throat> excuse me, each and every one of us, God has a different purpose for each and every one of us. <clears throat> yes, for all of us, it's to bring him glory, but he's got different avenues that he uses for us to bring that to pass. Don't lose your place in Hebrews because we're gonna be spending some time in Hebrews again today. But I want to read one passage out of Isaiah, the 26th chapter and third verse. He says, 
you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. When we can trust God, you know, for us to be able to trust him, we've got to not just simply know intellectually, we've got to know experientially what Jesus has done in our lives, what he accomplished in our lives. Because when we do, there's a boldness, there's a confidence that rises. You will keep him in perfect peace. God will keep you in perfect peace whose mind, whose mind, see that's the battlefield. That's where the battle takes place is in the mind. You know, the enemy has no power. He has no authority over you and I. But you know what he wants to do? He wants to affect our thinking. He wants us to believe we can't and we won't. You know, what you think about is extremely important. Because if you will examine your life, you will, you will recognize that that which you dwell upon is what leads your life, what directs your life. If you focus on fear, on failure, you're gonna experience fear and failure because fear will always lead to failure in one way or another. You know, over the years, I've known people with a lot and I've known people with a little. But I remember there was an individual when I was growing up. You know, everybody talked about how wealthy this guy but was, but you know, you live basically like a pulper. Didn't enjoy life because he was constantly afraid of losing what he had. And it looked like he didn't have anything. But then after he died, they went out and they found that he had money hidden, hidden every place, buried in the ground, under his mattress, every place throughout his house. He had all kinds of money. He was loaded. But because of fear, he was never able to enjoy it. You know, the same thing happens to each and every one of us. God has blessed us. God has prospered us. God has given us so much. But because of fear, we don't have the opportunity to enjoy it. Because, well, you know, things are good today, but you know, you just don't ever know about tomorrow. Well, things are good today. Things are going to be good tomorrow, and they're going to be gooder the day after. Why? Because that's the God we serve. And so where are we going to put our confidence? Are we going to put our confidence in him? Or are we going to put our confidence in the things of the world? In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse, it says, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You've been sanctified through the body of Jesus Christ. And it took place once for all times. Jesus isn't crucified over and over again. His sacrifice was sufficient one time. 14th verse, same chapter. That was the 14th verse, wasn't it? 10th verse, okay, 14th verse. 
For by one offering, my, when I'm done reading this, we could just well say amen and go home and everybody be happy. Not going to happen, so don't start moving. (laughs) For by one offering, he, Jesus, has, has what? Perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You have been perfected forever through Jesus, your sanctifier. Isn't that exciting? You know, it's interesting. We don't have a problem realizing that Jesus is our Savior, that he is our righteousness, that he is our Redeemer. But you know, the same passage that says that he's those things, I think it's in in Corinthians 1.30, it says that he's our sanctifier. He sanctifies us. Well, pastor, I've got a lot to be done in my life. I've got a lot of change that needs to be made. Thank God you've been sanctified. And so as a result of your sanctification, you're able to follow through and see it manifested in the natural. You see, it starts on the inside and it works to the outside. And so until you believe that you are who God says you are, you'll never become it. And so we believe that we are the sanctified of the Lord. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Sanctified means to be set apart. You've been set apart for the work of Jesus. You've been set set apart for holiness, for sanctification, for living a righteous life. You've been set apart for that through Jesus. You know, it's interesting we, we use these passages oftentimes as we want to. But you know, in, 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 in Matthew, the 18th chapter, the 19th verse, it says that where two or three agree as touching anything. About say anything. anything. Do you know what? If you study that out in the Greek, do you know what you will find out what that verse, that word means? It means anything. He says, where two or three agree as touching anything, it shall be done for them through our Father who is in heaven. So do do you know who the first one that you need to get in agreement with? Well, you know, you need to get in agreement with your spouse. Well, there's somebody you need to get in agreement with before you get into agreement with your spouse. That's God the Father. And how do we get in agreement with him? He says it, I believe it, that settles it. It begins as we begin to speak about ourselves, what he says about us, not what we think about us. He says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so, I'm the righteousness of God. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so if you're the redeemed of the Lord, you're not to be ashamed of that. You're to be bold about that. You're to speak that out of your mouth. I am the redeemed of the Lord. And do you know what happens when you begin to speak it out? You begin to believe it. And when you begin to believe it, you begin to act like it. You begin to live it. You know, the law was never able to get us to act right. If that's all that was required, we would have never needed Jesus. But we needed Jesus because the law was able to do only one thing. 
it was able to reveal to you that you were a sinner in need of a savior. And the moment the law accomplishes that in your life, in my life, it's fulfilled its purpose. Because then we believe, begin to believe we are who the Bible says that we are. And the moment that we begin to believe that, we begin to walk in it. Hebrews 10, 14, I want to read it out of the Amplified. It says, for by a single offering, he has forever cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. Forever, that one act, forever he sanctified us, made us holy. In other words, we no longer have to live a life dealing with a sin consciousness. We no longer have to live a life looking at our failings and our shortcomings. We can now live a life looking at what Jesus accomplished for us. And it's so much better than the other. Let's back up a little bit and let's read from Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Let's begin in the fifth verse. And it says, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. You know, why? Why did he have no pleasure in sacrifices? They were simply doing what they were supposed to do and those sacrifices were never able to clean people up and make them right with God. It would just simply take care of it for a year and cover it for a year. But year after year after year, they had to go through the same process over and over again because that sacrifice could never remove sin. But Jesus did it. And when I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. And so it was just fulfilling some type of requirement of the law. God doesn't want us serving him because it's required. He wants us to serve him because we want to serve him. Because we love him. Because we recognize how wonderful he is and all that he's accomplished for each and every one of us. And so it was through Jesus' blood and body it removed the penalty of sin, ninth verse. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, the law, that he might establish the second, the sacrifice of Jesus. <clears throat> By that will he had been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. Doing it repeatedly, knowing that it could never take away 
sin. You know, a lot of things that we did in the past, thinking it was going to gain some brownie points with God, did you ever get any any satisfaction out of it? I'll answer for all of us, no. Why? Because it couldn't bring us into relationship with Jesus. It couldn't do anything to take away sin because Jesus has already taken it all away. And so we couldn't find any peace, we couldn't find any comfort in our efforts because it's all about what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. And every priest standing ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice that can never take away sin, but this man, speaking of Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies were made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. One time, one sacrifice, through whom? Through Jesus. He did it forever. You know, Jesus came as a man, left the glory of heaven, took upon himself flesh and bone, became a man. You know why? Because God couldn't suffer for your sins. It took a man. And so Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, set aside deity, came as a man, took flesh and bone, became flesh and blood like you and I. Why? So that he could pay the price, so that he could suffer for your sins and my sins. You know, that's true love. In Philippians, the second chapter, The seventh verse, speaking of Jesus said, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the likeness as a man, he humbled himself. It's talking about Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Think about this. Jesus became obedient, gave his life so that your sins and my sins might be forgiven. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't come into existence when he was born in the manger and we know that he was born in a manger because the song tells us so. But that isn't his beginning. First, or excuse me, John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus always was. Jesus was in the heavens. And Jesus chose to come to earth 
to be the ultimate sacrifice for you, the perfect sacrifice for you and me. Why? So that we might have life. That we might have it more abundantly. Jesus not simply took upon himself sin, Jesus became sin for you and I so that he might pay that price that required a perfect sacrifice, which he was. In the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, the 31st verse, it says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all persons unto me. Remember, I shared last week that persons there is in the italics, which means that it was added. It wasn't in the original Greek. It wasn't in the original. It was added for clarification. And the problem is, is, is when you add that word there, it changes the meaning of the of what he's talking about here. Yes, we're all to be drawn unto Jesus. But what he's talking about here is that when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, he would draw all sin unto himself. And he paid for all the sin of mankind. If I be lifted up, Jesus is saying, I'll draw all sin unto me and I'll pay the penalty, the price for all sin. As I've shared in the past, you know, the, the horribleness of hell, <laughs> I can't think of a better way to put it, is that Jesus paid the price for everyone. Past, present, and future. Every man, every child, every woman that has ever lived, Jesus paid the price for it. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter whether you're black, white, or whatever. For all of us, Jesus paid the price for it. But you know, there are those that will refuse to receive what Jesus has done for them. Do you realize that there is only one sin that will send anybody to hell? One sin. It's not adultery. It's not stealing. It's not murder. None of those things. Do you know what will send you to hell? Rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through Jesus and so we put our trust in Jesus and him alone, recognizing that it was the price that he paid that gives us life. You know, what's interesting is when you read through the scriptures, you begin to realize that the Bible refers to being legalistic as, as, as an elementary teaching. You know, when your kids are little 
you have to have rules for them. And you have to discipline them, not because you're mad at them, because you love them. You teach them not to run out into the street, not because you're trying to destroy all their fun, but it's because you don't want them to get hit by a vehicle. There's other things that you instruct your children in. Why? Because you, because you love them, not because you're trying to be difficult to them. But you know, <clears throat> when your child gets to be 18, 19, 20, and you still got to tell them, don't go out into the street when a car is coming. There, there's something wrong here. Because they ought to be getting a hold of those elementary principles that that car is bigger than me. And therefore, if that car hits me, it's going to hurt. So there's a, there's a time where we need to mature. When your kids are little, you keep them away from the stove. Why? Because you know that they don't have enough knowledge. They don't have enough sense to keep their hands off of the hot element. And if they touch it, they're going to get burnt. <clears throat> now, I know there's some parents that would say, well, let them touch it. They'll never touch it again. I don't know. I think there's better, better ways of teaching than that. You know what? That's what God has done with the Word. That's why the law was given. The law was given to tell us that certain behaviors will bring death and destruction into our life. And then he brings Jesus into our life, the answer. And through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a maturity that's to take place in our life that we no longer are dependent upon those elementary principles because now we have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of us to guide and direct our life to keep us from touching the stove. Oh, the stove looks hot. Holy Ghost says, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. Well, that's an exaggeration, but that's how it is. And if you're reading through Proverbs, I, I read through Proverbs every month. And there, there's, there's a couple of the chapters, you hit it and and. and and, and what is, what is they're, 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 they're talking about the, the seductress, how she's out there and she's on the corner just waiting for the young guy to come along and says, oh, hi there. <laughs> and she seduces him. Well, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem in that area. Well, what is your area of seduction? Because that's what the enemy does. He's, he seduces us. He doesn't have any authority over us. But he uses the things of this world, the flesh, the desire of other things to tempt us, to seduce us. But if we've, if we've learned the elementary principles of Christ and if we've learned to depend upon the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying, run, run, run. You know, Jimmy's gone home to be with the Lord now, but talks about when he was a missionary in the Philippines and they were on the island of Panay and, and he was in, in Manila, which is the big island. And uh, one, one evening he was walking down through one of the alleys to get someplace and all of a sudden this 
lady of the night stepped out of the doorway. You, you understand what I'm saying, lady of the night, you, under, you understand? You're not sort of sanctified, you don't understand what I mean by lady of the night. But anyway, lady of the night stepped out and she, she propositioned him. And he says, you know, being the great man of faith and power that I am, Jimmy was a great man of faith and power. He says, you probably think I sat down on the curb and witnessed to her and went her to Jesus. He said, no, I turned and I ran just as fast as I could down the street. Now, I would have given anything to have a video of that. <laughs> but you know what that is? That's wisdom. It's having common sense. That's recognizing this is above my capacity to handle in my own strength and in my own ability. And therefore, the Holy Spirit has warned me and I'm going to heed his warning and I'm going to relocate in a hurry. You know what the answer to most sin is? Well, this isn't a sin message. Just, these are just freebies. Do you know what the answer to the sin issue is? Relocate. I'm not talking about moving to a different state. I'm talking about you find a different place to be. You know, because we fall into temptation when we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we don't listen to the warning of the Holy Spirit in our life. He isn't here just so that we can pray in tongues. He isn't here just so periodically we can have a miracle or we can lay hands on the sick, whatever it may be. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives 24-7. And his primary responsibility in each of our lives is to guide us and to direct us. And that's exactly what he wants to do. And guess what? He's every place, every moment of every day. And that means it doesn't matter where you are, he's there even though you're not in the same location that I'm at. He's with you, and he wants to guide you, and he wants to direct you. But you know what? Until you know that you're forgiven, until you know that you're the accepted of the Lord, until you know I'm not living my life to try to be pleasing to God, I live my life because I am pleasing to God. I live my life and I'm able to love others because God loves me. And because he loves me, I'm able to love somebody else. I'm able to forgive you because he's forgiven me. And let me tell you, there isn't anything that you can do to me that compares in any way, shape, or form to what I've done to Almighty God. And so I can forgive you. And we can forgive others. And we don't have to curse at our TV because of other countries or whatever because they're so wicked and evil. We can forgive them and trust in our God because he's the one that's going to bring about a change. That's just a thought. I don't know why I even went there. Let's go to Galatians. If you don't know where to go, always go to Galatians. It's a good place to go. Galatians, the third chapter, the 27th verse. 
For as many of you, for as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. This is talking about water baptism. This is talking when you're born again, you're immersed in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you know what the answer to the race problem is? Oneness in Christ Jesus. You know what the answer is to the um, what do you call it? Male, female problem? Huh? I can't understand anybody, so it's Jesus. It's oneness. It's in him. That's the answer. That's easy answer. We got, we've got all kinds of stuff we try to work. Jesus, he's the answer. You know, I'd get closer to Jesus and all the issues disappear. disappear. The issues are there, but they don't affect you. Why? Because we're one with Jesus. And if you are Christ's, see, that's the only condition. If implies a condition. If you are Christ's, then, so if I am Christ's, I am, then you are Abraham's seed, an heir according to the promise. So in other words, the promise belongs to me. Why? Because I'm an heir. The seed that Abraham, that was spoken to Abraham was Jesus. And so I'm Abraham's seed. Jesus is in me. I may not look at it like it, but you're looking at Jesus this morning. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. People will take that to the extreme. Remember when Kenneth Copeland said that? He said, we ought to be a bunch of little Jesuses running around. Oh, man, they, they just about crucified him over that one. What I'm saying is we are the body of Christ. Individually and corporately. We are wall to wall, Holy Ghost. He lives on the inside of us. And so when we look at one another, we ought not to be seeing one another's imperfections. We ought to be seeing the Jesus in each and every one of us. And you know what we need to allow to flow out of us is Jesus. And that means maybe in areas we change our behavior not because we have to. Not because I'm trying to get favor with God. But because I have favor with God and I'm here to serve him, I change my behavior because I want to be a living testimony to him. You know, one of the most embarrassing times of my life, and I've shared this so many of you have already heard it. <clears throat> Some of you know this about me. 
I really like football. And I really love high school football. Probably more than any other, I love high school football because they're playing it for the game. Most are. So this is several years ago. It was after Aaron graduated, thank God. But I was at a football game and uh, something was said and irritated me and so I said something to somebody else and uh, I made the decision. If I can't act differently, I will never go to another football game. And so I'm, next Friday night comes along and I didn't tell anybody, I didn't even tell Pastor Becky. I just knew, if I can't, if I can't live a better testimony than this, I'm, I'm, if I can't handle football better than this, that's it. So the next Friday night comes along and Pastor Becky says, going to the game? And I said, I don't think I'll go. <laughs> next Friday night comes along, she says, aren't you going to the game? I don't think I'm going to go. By the third, she knew something was up. Those women. She said, what's going on? And I told her. And I said, if I can't act any better than that, I will never go to another football game. I'll never go to another sport. And I kind of like sports. But you know what? My, My priority is my relationship with Jesus. And if my priority is my relationship with Jesus, my priority has to be how do I represent him? Do I represent him rightly or do I just simply go through the motions? Now that doesn't mean we're, we walk around with our head in the air and we're, we're holier than thou. That, that, that's not what I'm talking about. That's religion. I'm talking about it religiously. What I'm talking about is does Jesus take his proper place in our life? And if he does, then it ought to be affecting our everyday life. If Jesus only affects our life on Sunday morning, something's wrong. We've not been immersed in Christ because when you're immersed in something, it affects you. I can guarantee you If I take you out to the Raccoon River right now, we can find a place where the ice is open and I immerse you in that water, it's going to affect your life. It's going to affect your behavior. It's going to affect what you're going to do. I remember the first baptism we had up in Wapaka, Wisconsin. We had that church. Somebody had a swimming pool in their backyard and we waited a little late in the year to have our baptism. But we had our baptism And I'd take those people and I'd take them down into the water. And when I'd bring them out of the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they did not stop. It was a continual motion all the way out of that pool because it was cold. It affects your life. When you're immersed in Christ Jesus, It affects your life. It affects your behavior. It affects the way that you see things. It affects the way that you respond to things. It touches every area. Let's go to Galatians 
the fourth chapter. First verse. Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. We don't have time to get into all this, but this is talking about when you cease to be ruled or under the rule of a guardian. And the Bible talks about the law as being a guardian to you and I to keep us until we go through the process of becoming sons of God. And for you and I, that happened the moment that we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let me read on into into verse three. And I'm gonna read this out of the Amplified three and four. So we, Jewish Christians, also when we were minors, were kept like slaves under the rules of the Hebrew ritual and subject to the elementary teachings of a system of external observations and regulations. In other words, law. But when the proper time came, when the proper time came, when a proper time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born subject to the regulations of the law. Remember, the law was given for a period of time until the arrival of the seed, who is Jesus. And when that proper time came, and that seed came, Jesus, he paid, he was born, he lived his life, he suffered and died on that cross to pay the price for your sin and my sin so that now we're not under law. We've stepped into the grace and we live the victorious, abundant life through the completed works of Jesus. Verse five, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. You and I were sons of God. We may take the position of a servant to serve one another, but we are sons of God. And we need to acknowledge that and we need to recognize who we truly are. In Isaiah 43 it says, in verse 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things. Don't dwell on the former things. Because so often, that's what holds us back. We dwell on the former things. We dwell on the things that were. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'll do a new thing. This is speaking prophetically. And he's saying, don't dwell on the old things. I'm going to do a new thing. And that new thing is Jesus. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in in the desert. He's going to do a new thing. He did a new thing for you and I. So why do we keep reverting back to the old? 
Why do we keep trying to trust in a, in a system that is no longer in, in effect when Jesus came to bring us life and to bring us the abundant life? Hebrews 8.8, 8, it says, because finding fault with him, he said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. See, there's one salvation for all of us. And it's through Jesus. It's a new plan. It's a new system. And we need to know what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new through Christ Jesus. What does that mean to you and I? That means we no longer have to hold on to the old. We no longer have to look back on our life and say, I, I, I failed here and I failed here and I failed here. I'm just a failure. No, we can, we can put those things behind us and look at Jesus and realize I have a brand new start in Christ Jesus. Today. Not tomorrow. Today is your day of salvation. And salvation isn't just simply a one-time event we go through. It's a process that's taken place in our lives. Yes, we're saved, we're going to heaven. But you know what? Salvation is working for you and I today. The Holy Spirit is working and cleansing, taking away sin and defilement out of our lives. Why do we receive Holy Communion? We receive Holy Communion because it's an acknowledgement that the old has passed away. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have a brand new life in Christ Jesus. It isn't focusing on my failings and shortcomings so that I can ask God to forgive me. It's focusing on what he has accomplished for each and every one of us. That we might live the abundant, successful, over-the-top life. <clears throat> One of the definitions of gospel, we all know gospel is the good news. They better say good news. It's good news. This, this is good news. You ought to tell your faces. This is good news. This is good news. But one of the definitions that I heard, I, I think I heard from Andrew Womack, he says, the gospel is too good to be true news. That's how good the good news is. It sounds too good to be true. You're free from whatever's holding you back. You're free from whatever bondage you've experienced in your life. Well, that sounds too good to be true. Yeah, that's the gospel. No matter what the infirmity in your body is, by the stripes of Jesus, you've been healed. Well, you know, I've been working on this for, for years and years. The doctors just don't know what to do and you've got all kinds of reasons and whatever. 
while you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Well, pastor, that sounds too good to be true. Yeah, it is. That's the gospel. Sounds too good to be true. The only thing is, it is. It's true for each and every one of us. Good news. Good news for all of us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This might be a four-week series because I got through two pages. I have seven. I always like to get halfway through before I quit a message. It's good news. What Jesus has done for you is good news. It isn't based on you. It isn't about what you've done. It's about Jesus. He's not just simply the author of your faith. He's the perfecter of your faith. And so we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we go over, not under, because of Jesus. And so whatever you're struggling with in life, because all of us are, amen, all of us are struggling with something, we need to realize he's come to set us free from that. And so the answer isn't dwelling on the issue. The answer is focusing on, dwelling on what Jesus has already accomplished for you. Because that's what's so exciting about it. He didn't just do it for us. He did it for you. God doesn't look down upon us and see a mass. He sees us individually. And he sees your individual need and he ministers to your individual need. And he has the answer. That's why we can't put God in a box. Because every time we try to, he kicks the sides out. Because he deals with each and every one of us individually. Because you're not like somebody else, you don't have to feel guilty because God created you to be you. And so all you have to be is you. And if you is like me, you may have to make some changes, but you still have to be just you. You don't have to be somebody else. That's the God we serve. He's so wonderful. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives and abides, has taken up residence in each and every one of us. And Father, you know what every one of our needs are. You know it. And you ask us to to pray, not because you don't know, but, but because you want us to agree with you. Father, I agree that you're the healer. I agree that you're the provider. I agree that no matter what weapon the enemy has formed against me, it'll not prosper because you are the greater one. 
And so, Father, speak to each heart today. Father, draw us by your precious Holy Spirit. Draw us into a deeper relationship with you. That the things of this world would seem far removed. That they would not dominate and control our lives. But that we would yield ourselves unto you and give you access to every area of our lives. Father, we thank you that through the precious blood of Jesus, our every sin has been washed away. We've been cleansed of it. But not just simply of the sin, the defilement of the sin. And so, Father, as we, as we prepare to receive Holy Communion this morning, Father, I pray that you would give us confidence and give us assurance that you've done everything that you said you would do. And so we ask your blessing upon this time. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I could have the ushers and the elders and those helping with communion, if you'd come forward at this time and begin to prepare the element. If you're visiting with us this morning, um, our uh, elders and ushers pass the elements around and, and when they get to you, you can either receive them right at that moment or you can wait and, and after everybody's received, we'll receive it uh, together. But communion was instituted by Jesus himself. And in his words, he said that when we, we receive communion, that we're to do it in remembrance of him. Not in remembrance of our failings or shortcomings, but we're to do it in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And so as we were prepared to receive the elements this morning, it's important for us to take a moment and just simply focus upon Jesus and upon his completed works. Because they are done. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he, he defeated the enemy. He defeated death and destruction. He defeated those things that would, would want to overtake us and overpower us. But through Jesus, we have the victory. As we receive communion, the thing I want everyone to understand is that communion isn't about you. Communion is about Jesus. It's about recognizing what he did for each and every one of us. In your hands, you're holding a 
piece of bread that represents the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The Bible declares that by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed. His body was broken so that your body and my body, that we might be whole. And so this represents the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus. As you receive it, receive it in remembrance of him that his body was broken so that your body might be whole. Use it as a touching point to reach out and touch Jesus and know that he brings healing into your life, into your being. The body of Christ broken for you, receive it in Jesus' name. Then of course we receive the two elements. The second is the juice that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The Old Testament says where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so Jesus has done what the blood of no animal was able to accomplish. The blood of animals simply covered the sin for a year, for a season. But the blood of Jesus, it doesn't cover sin. It's like being under that waterfall. It washes away our sin. It totally cleanses us, cleanses us from the sin and from the defilement of sin. I like to look at it this way. It's like when you take a clear glass and you put milk in it and you empty the milk out of the glass and you have this film. That's kind of like our, our lives. We've been emptied of the sin. Those things that would separate us from God, the moment that we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're emptied of those things. But there's still the guilt, there's still the shame. And that's what the water of the Holy Spirit, the water of the Word, it washes us. And so it's like putting that glass under a faucet and that water runs and runs and runs. And it gets rid of the film, it gets rid of the residue. It gets rid of those things that would try to hang in there and hold us back. But the blood of Jesus, it washes us and it cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Christ, which has been shed for you as you receive it, receive it in remembrance of him, the blood of Jesus. Now, Father, we thank you. We thank you that through Jesus, we have the victory. Through Jesus, all things are possible. And Father, we're so grateful that when Jesus went to sit at your side, he did not leave us alone, but he sent us another comforter, the Holy Spirit to come and live and abide within us, to guide and direct us, 
into all truth. So Father, we pray that this communion might be a continual reminder to us of what Jesus accomplished for each one of us. Father, we're your ambassadors. We're your servants. Use us for your purpose and for your glory. And Father, as we leave this place today, may we not forget the words that have been spoken of over us, the insight that you've given each one of us. Lord, we seal it by the Holy Spirit that we might take truth and apply it in our lives. And Father, that we might do it for your glory. And so, Father, we ask your blessing that we might fulfill your plan and your purpose. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we go, go in his strength, go in his peace, go in his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.